Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 345 with Hiroki Takeuchi of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Nathan Chan here, CM Publisher of Founder Magazine. And if you're new to the show, we interview some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, really getting them to unpack like what it is that got them there. So let's talk about today's guest. His name's Hiroki Takeuchi, a very, very interesting founder. So... He went through Y Combinator, which it seems a lot of successful founders do. If you if you definitely want to start a tech startup, um, think about applying at an accelerator and looking at yeah something like Y Combinator. But in this interview, I go through with him how he's built this massive, massive fintech company called Go Cardless. How he developed that idea, how that idea developed, and how he actually pivoted the importance of having like a complimentary co-founder, why he decided to leverage existing services in order to streamline his launch, uh, the challenges faced by scaling an international business. Also, we talk about imposter syndrome and how he focuses on continuing his learnings and everything you need to work on that side of things of being a founder. And uh, we also talk around hiring and why you should never underestimate the length of the journey ahead of you. And also why funding actually doesn't mean anything. All right, that's it from me. I hope you guys are enjoying these episodes. Please do share these with a friend. 
these are 100% free. We don't ask for any money at all. We work so hard to find some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation to get them to share on this podcast and, and throughout our content and our platform. Share this with a friend, leave us a review, and uh, that's it from me. Now I jump to the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? I mean, I guess, uh, I don't know. I don't really think of it, about it like a job. Um, so, you know, we, we started Go Cardless back in 2011. Um, and, you know, this is my first kind of startup. Um, and, you know, it was more uh driven by this desire to to build something new right and and you know build somewhere that i was really excited to be working um and so i, ne- I never really thought about it like a job to be honest it was it was it, you know this this was a, a business that we started um and a journey that we began um and that we're still on at the moment yeah i see so how did you come up with the idea because it's a pretty bold idea yeah well i mean i always sort of think of it as like a journey of discovery, right? We didn't uh, wake up one day and say, hey, like, you know, these payment systems are broken. I mean, we, we didn't even know anything about payments before we started the business. So um, it, we started with a, a slightly different idea um, in the early days. Um, initially, the idea that we had was that um, we'd, in our own lives, had difficulty collecting payments in like more informal situations. So, you know, like, being the captain of your local sports team, being, you know, running a student society, going on holiday with your friends, that kind of thing, right? Where, you know, you, it's, you're, you're chasing people for money. It's awkward. If your friend doesn't pay you, how often do you like chase them and remind them? And, and, and so we wanted to build something to, to try and solve that problem, um, which is obviously a much smaller problem than what we're focused on today. And, you know, as we were learning about how payment systems worked and, you know, how this whole world, you know, uh, existed, we realized that there was a much bigger challenge because what we found was that at the time, the only way to collect payment on the internet was via credit and debit cards, right? Um, And that was never going to work for what we were trying to do for various reasons. And, you know, we realized that there was these other systems that existed around the world, like direct debit, um, which were a much better fit for what we wanted to do, but were really hard to get access to, really hard to use. And we've been trying to get access to those systems to solve that, you know, initial idea. Um, and, you know, as we realized how hard it was, we, we realized, okay, well, actually, if we're having this much difficulty, then maybe others are as well. And that was really where the idea came from, was this, this sense of, okay, well, look, you know, depending on what you're trying to collect payment for, you need a different system, right? There's different problems. Um, and, you know, we realized that there was this class of use cases around recurring payments. So, you know, subscriptions, collecting payments for your invoices, that kind of thing, where, you know, it was on, an ongoing relationship with your customer. And these direct debit systems were an ideal fit for those kind of use cases, but, but people weren't using them as much as they could or should because of problems that existed in the market. And, and that, that those are the problems that we solve. Mm, I see. So did you start Go Cardless uh, with a found, uh, another co-founder or a group of founders? Yeah, there was, there was three of us that started the company. So Matt, Tom, and myself uh, were, were the founders of the company. And um, how did you guys meet? Um, so 
uh, Matt and myself, we met on our first jobs out of university. So we met on, on the first day of, the, of our first job. Um, and um, we, I remember actually the first conversation I ever had with him was actually about com- building companies and startups. And, you know, we, we had this argument where I, I was like really of the, like strongly believed that you have to have a co-founder, right? Like it's super important. Um, and I think that was kind of came from the experience that I'd had, you know, um, interning at startups in Silicon Valley uh, before I you know, finished university. And, you know, I, I was kind of exposed to that whole Y Combinator uh, sort of ethos, I guess. And, you know, and, and they really drilled home the importance of the co-founder. Um, and Matt was like, no, 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 I don't need a co-founder. You know, like, you know, I'll just start something on my own. And obviously, I end up winning that argument because we end up starting a company together. Uh, but but we spent the the, the the two years that we were in that job together. We 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 spent a lot of time just talking about ideas, and you know, and I think it became quite obvious to us that we were going to start something together through that uh, through that period. And then, and then Tom um, was someone that I knew at university, um, and he he he'd actually co-founded one of the businesses that I ended up interning at um, before uh, before uh, I finished university. And he kind of actually ended up leaving that business because the, the, the company went and moved to Silicon Valley and he was still doing his degree, right? So he was like, well, I'm not going to quit my, my degree to do this. So, you know, um, so, so I kind of met him through that. Um, and then as we were thinking about starting a business, we got reconnected with Tom and you know the the timing worked out quite well because he just quit his job um and he had this kind of gardening leave and we were like well why don't we just like kind of do something and and see what happens um and then uh, yeah he never he never went to the the second job <laughs> yeah look fintech uh is an expensive business to get into um and usually requires vc so to create the mvp uh trying to solve the original problem that you spoke about um, did you guys uh, raise any capital to to build that MVP? No, I mean, you know, the first version of uh, the, the first sort of product that we built was was very very uh, sli- slimline, right? So, I mean, obviously, the, the initial idea was around you know helping informal groups to collect payments, and and what we did was we built just this like UI layer on top of my own personal PayPal account. Um, and it, I mean, it wasn't the most legal setup in the world because like people were paying me and then I was kind of transferring the money into my bank account and sending it on to the, 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 the sort of the end, uh, the end receiver. And that got shut down pretty quickly by PayPal. They, they, their, their fraud algorithms are, are better than, uh, than, than you'd think. But the, um, um, so, you know, we, we just kind of built this really simple version on top of my PayPal account and got a few friends using it. Right. And, uh, just to, you know, we wanted to build something really quickly. Right. And we didn't want to spend months and months trying to get regulatory approvals and you know, get banking licenses and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, we, we just wanted to be able to see, okay, well, how does payments work? Um, so it took us about two weeks to build this UI. Um, and then once, you know, PayPal obviously kind of said, well, look, you can't, you can't do this. But then they gave us access to their, their partner APIs and we were able to uh, build something on top of them. So, so we were able to leverage what already existed to, to start, you know, enabling people to collect payments. And, you know, we initially was very, were very much just focused on that software there where obviously you can move a lot faster. And, th- and then once we got going with that, that was when we started looking at, okay, well, how do we get access to the payment infrastructure ourselves? 
and we start learning more about the different ways you can collect payments and the different systems that existed out there. We started looking at all the regulatory uh, approvals that you need to actually handle the money yourself and, and all, all of that kind of stuff. And, and that was when we started to look at raising money as well, because obviously, um, you know, that, that, that does uh, cost, cost money. Um, but, but actually, the, you know, the initial money that we raised was uh, through the Y Combinator program. Uh, where you know we went out to Silicon Valley for about three or four months and, and went through that program and you know there's there's a, a small amount of capital associated with that um, and and I think you know what we realized is that you you can go a long way without you know all that much money right like even things like you know getting you know regulated I mean we just applied ourselves we literally filled in the forms ourselves we talked to the regulators ourselves. Um, and you know, it, we ended up in a position, and I think the UK have done a good job on this from a regulatory point of view. Is that they, they basically said, look, look, like, yeah, we're happy to regulate you. You're going to need some cash, so you know, we're not going to be able to give you the approval until you've got that cash. But you know, as soon as you do, then you can get going, right? And so you know, that helped us a lot. Um, and you know, I think that um, you, you kind of need to be, I guess a bit creative in how, how, how you get going uh, when it comes to fintech because as you said there are a lot of you know uh just hurdles that you need to you know jump over to to get started yeah no for sure okay interesting so um you went through y combinator what was that experience like um how much did you raise on demo day um yeah uh i mean it was an amazing experience um you know we I'd obviously experienced it not directly, but indirectly when I interned a company that was going through the program back in 2007. Um, and so I was always like super excited about that program. Um, and, you know, when we did it, it was, it was an amazing experience because you, especially compared to Europe and, and London, where we were from, um, you know, when we first started the business, there, there was no real startup ecosystem, right? You know, when we, quit our jobs to start something most of our friends just thought we were unemployed um and so you know it, it was a you know, it was a quite a big difference between that and going over to silicon valley you know going and learning from all of these amazing you know people that had gotten some just these experiences that were so far removed from anything that existed in in europe um, and so we we learned a lot about the fundamentals of of how to start a a, a business um, and how to think about you know technology startups. Um, and then and then when it came to to demo day, I mean I, I think well nowadays maybe it's a bit different. But when we were going through the program, you know it wasn't. I think there's this misconception that you go to demo day, you like go and give your pitch, and then all of a sudden like everyone just gives you money. I mean some companies that's definitely true for right. Um, but you know that was certainly not our experience and. You know, after demo day, I mean, that was definitely the hardest fundraise that we did. Where you know, I think we had like something, something like sixty-four no's before we got our first yes uh, for for investment. Um, so a lot of rejection um, and you know a lot of pitching, um, but it was a great place to build those connections and get those opportunities to go and have the follow-on conversations with investors. Um, and so you know, and, and it ended up working out quite well because we ended up raising. Uh, about one and a half million dollars in the end uh, after demo day. So you know it was a it was a hard slog, but uh, we got there in the end. Oh, that's awesome. And then you come back to the UK with your co-founders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for us it was always you know uh, 
given what we were wanting to build, we always felt that Europe was going to be the place that it made sense to start. And so, you know, we, we came back to, to London, yeah. Got you. And that's when, like, yeah, I was going to say, the, the real hard work started? Uh, well, I mean, I think, that, you know, we, the, the, I don't think it really changed much because we were we were building the product before uh, YC, but uh, before YC and whilst we were at YC. And I, I mean, I think that maybe some people, sometimes there's a sort of a confusion between like investment and, you know, success um, or, you know, or starting, you know, the reality is that the investment, if anything, it, it, it is an enabler, right? You know, we would have money in the bank so we could go and hire people. Uh, and, you know, so, so in some senses, that's where it started, but, you know, actually, you know, the hard work starts way before the investment. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. So, um, I'm curious kind of what happened next, uh, at what stage did you guys begin to pivot into kind of, yeah, um, looking at the, the recurring side of things and handling subscriptions, more kind of a B2B play instead of the direct to consumer or not direct to but the consumer type play. Well, well that happened, uh, whilst we were at YC, right? So, you know, while we were going through YC, you know, we realized that, you know, the, problem we were trying to solve in order to enable the more consumer oriented sort of group payments product that we started with was a much bigger problem than the group payments problem right and so you know we, we that's when we i guess pivoted to say okay well look like rather than trying to just help these sort of small sort of subset of the world to collect payments in these kind of informal groups sort of situations what if we just make it a more general layer that enables anyone that wants to get access to it to collect payments this way, right? That, that was the pivot that we made. And, you know, when we made that pivot, we got quite lucky because we were introduced to um, a guy called Dwayne who ran a company called Cashflow. Um, and, and so Cashflow was like, um, it, it, it was an accounting software package in the UK, kind of like zero. Uh, but not as big and successful as zero, uh, but successful in its own way. We had like 25,000 uh, small businesses using it in the UK. And um, and um, we got introduced to him. And, and the lucky thing was that he was looking for exactly what we were building when we got introduced to him, right? And so he was like, and this is before we'd actually even built the product, right? So he was just, he took a bet on us and said, look, I'm going to work with you guys um you know i'm not going to bother with any of these other meetings with the banks and everyone else that i've got lined up I'm, i believe in you uh, let's do this together and so you know that's where we first started uh the, this sort of fresh idea uh, which is the kind of the genesis of gocardless and this is kind of where we seeded the initial volume and so you know in the early days what we found and what was interesting was that we'd sort of start up with the problem not with the customer right and so what happened was that as we were launching, we were just getting more and more customers use use our platform and collect to, to collect payments. And you know, it always felt like there was this, you know as uh, we couldn't keep up with like who was using it, right? It was like you know, I mean, the first payment we ever collected was for a skip hire company, right? It was like a a really like random thing. We'd never thought about that. And you know, as we um, were growing we were just seeing all these different types of businesses using our platform and it was only after maybe 
two three years after we launched where we sort of took a step back and said okay well what, like what's what's everyone got in common here like what are we what are we doing and I think what we realized was that yeah the thing that everyone had in common was that they had this ongoing relationship with their customers and they were struggling to get paid right they were they, they were spending a lot of time and effort to try and get paid by their customers and you know that was time and effort that was taking away from their ability to focus on what they were actually excited about, which was building great products, offering great services, right? No one kind of gets into business because they're excited about chasing the customers for payment, right? And so 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 we realized that was the thing that kind of strung it all together. And you know, we we started to you know uh become clearer in our focus around this recurring payments market and the type of businesses that we work with. Um, but it was it was definitely a journey. More and more now, we are seeing uh, the rise of fintech, like massive, massive, massive um, rise of fintech. So um, there's a lot of fintech startups out there. And, you know, I was thinking about it myself, like when COVID hit, for me personally, the first thing that we did was we looked at uh, all of our expenses and we're just like, okay, we're all the costs and we spend a lot of money on SaaS tools every single month. And there was one that I realized was our most expensive SaaS tool that we were paying for every single month, but I didn't realize it because uh, the money was being collected before it even hit, hit our bank account, and that was Stripe. Like the amount of money we spend on Stripe is insane. And, it, and it, the, the penny dropped for me because like, wow, that's insane. Like to be able to facilitate and help a business survive like that, it's, it's a really strong way to provide value. So I'd love to hear from you and your take around kind of, I guess, the, the fintech industry because it is ripe for disruption right now with everything that's going on. I mean, it's a trend, right? That's been going on for a while, and and you know, COVID's probably accelerating. But the, um, uh, you know, obviously, when we started the business, fintech wasn't really a term that anyone used, right? And 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 it wasn't like we thought, oh, we'll start a fintech company. Um, I think what is common amongst all fintech companies, though, is that you know, financial services is a really big industry right you know the the movement of money everything to do with money you know, these are they're just absolutely massive massive industries and, and they power so much of the economy um and I, th- I think the interesting thing about it is that so much of that was consolidated amongst the banks right uh initially um and over the past you know 50 years um but when you think about each of those services right within financial services they're very different right you know like lending payments insurance you know all of these things there's not really that much that ties them together other than the fact that they've related to money um and you know i think that what's interesting is that you with fintech as a kind of an industry you've got a really fundamentally different way of thinking about it which is less about you know one business that then just offers everything but more focus right it's like okay we're gonna we're gonna do payments and we're gonna do recurring payments or you know you'll have you know another business that's just doing insurance and they all they do is insurance or like transfer wise doing fx and all they do is fx 
and 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 I think that it's that focus that enables us to create much better products, right? I mean, if you're a bank and you're offering 50 different financial services, how can you expect any of them to be really great, right? It's impossible to create that many products really, really well. Um, and so I think it's that focus that's interesting. And and I think that's kind of come at the same time as, you know, consumers and businesses becoming increasingly comfortable operating more and more on the internet, right? You know, I think that I just think about my own mum, right? My mum would have like never bought anything online five, ten years ago. She thought it was like, you know, it was the, it was the devil or something, and you know, people would just rob her blind. Um, but but now everyone feels comfortable. You know, people are feeling more and more com- comfortable, and I think that you know we're seeing this acceleration with COVID as well, right? Where you know, online spending is becoming a much bigger proportion of uh, the, the the overall spend of the economy. And and so, you know, as people feel more comfortable conducting their lives online, they're also more comfortable consuming their financial services online. And so these two things have kind of happened at the same time. And I think that's what's really creating this this trend around fintech. So I'm curious. So you come back to the UK and, uh, you know, you raised, uh, I think you said, uh, over a million dollars. And uh, yeah, what was next? Building the product, um, we you know we were just building it as we were raising that money, and and we just launched the first version of it just before we raised the the initial capital uh, after Bright YC, um, and and so then then I mean it's it's super simple right? It was like how do we grow? How do we how do we get uh, customers to use our product? And you know we we were quite lucky in that you know we had obviously struck onto this demand uh, that existed that we weren't actually fully aware of at the time, right? We, we didn't realize just how big the market was and we didn't realize how strong the demand was. And so for we, we were kind of in, in a lucky position in those early days where it was less about how do we grow proactively and more how do you keep up with the growth, right? How do you, when, when you're getting more and more customers using the platform every month, and, you know, in those early days, we were growing like 30, 40% every month. Um, and we weren't doing any sales. We weren't doing any marketing. It was just all basically through word of mouth and through these partnerships with with companies like Cashflow. Um, and it was more about, okay, well, how do we make sure that the product that we've built serves the needs of all of these customers and learning from them and, you know, listening to them? And, you know, and, and, then, and then obviously, as we continue to grow and get bigger, then it started to become a bit more you know, okay, well, how do you proactively grow? Like you can't just grow by surprise every month, right? You, you have to, you have to sort of become, uh, you have to start doing sales, you have to start doing marketing, you know, in order to maintain that growth rate and, and can keep it up. And, and so, you know, it, it then starts to become more about, okay, how do we understand all of these customers that are using us and what make, what's, what have they got in common? How do we, you know, how do we get more of them? How do we find them? You know, and so, you know, uh, but but that was kind of probably a little bit later on. So you know, in those early days, it was really about understanding who who it was that we were serving, uh, and, and and making sure that we were creating a really great product that they loved. From reading online, uh, it says the Go Cardless Now processes. I'd assume a lot more. This is in autumn two thousand nineteen. Processes thirteen billion in transactions a year has brands like DocuSign, TripAdvisor, The Guardian, Guardian, and you have over 50,000 customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, would you be able to give us an idea just kind of post-COVID around scale or? 
yeah, look, we've continued to grow. Uh, you know, we're now uh, doing, I don't know what the currency is that you're talking about there, but, you know, without, uh, about, uh, hang on. Yeah, like close to $20 billion in, in volume uh, a year. Um, and, you know, working with uh, somewhere just over 55,000 businesses, um, probably could getting close to 60,000 now. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, obviously COVID has been, an interesting period because you know a lot of the businesses that we serve um they've had to stop you know trading you know uh, we work with a lot of gyms we work with a lot of you know uh, membership organizations a lot of physical world businesses um which have been affected by covid um but at the same time we also work with a lot of digital businesses and, and we've seen more and more demand from them um and so you know we it's been it's been a, a sort of definitely a challenging period but one where overall we've still managed to be able to, to grow through it. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm curious, kind of, uh, do, you, do you guys just have offices in the UK or you guys have offices out other places as well? Yeah, yeah, we have offices. Uh, so we have an office in Melbourne. Um, we have you know, an office in a couple of uh, the, the European markets, so in France and in Germany. And then, and then we've also got an office in uh, San Francisco as well. So uh, that's something that over the last couple of years we've been investing in. Uh, quite a bit more is uh, is growing internationally. So, what are your biggest challenges right now in terms of scale? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, for us the, the the big challenge is going from a company that has been based in the UK uh, and you know having one office in London where you know everyone sits together um, to becoming an increasingly international business, right, with offices around the world, um, and you know how do we you know, maintain that connectivity and community uh, in the organization as, as we do that, right? And there's lots of things that you start having to you know, change the way that you work. And, and that's definitely being accelerated due to COVID where, you know, in the past, you could just kind of rely on the fact that you all work in the same office and you see each other every day to make things happen. And, you know, all of a sudden when you've got, you know, colleagues in Melbourne who are literally on the other side of the world from you, you know, how do you make sure that, you know, you're communicating effectively? How do you make sure that you that, that everyone can make decisions quickly? You know, how, how can you empower your people that are in offices in different places to to really do amazing work? Um, and so, you know, I think it's th- that transition that w- we've been going through over the last couple of years. And, you know, I think we've gone a lot better at it, but there's definitely still things that we could do better uh, still. Yeah, look, I think it's been a new challenge for all companies. Um, I'm curious when you set up these offices, how, what do you, what do you, what are some of the things that you're doing to make sure culture spreads? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a few things like you know, as much as possible, we try and uh, encourage people from London to move to those offices, right? So you know, we we take our best people um, and people that we feel really embody the culture of the organisation, and we. You know, give them the opportunity to to move, um, and you know either temporarily. But in, in the case of Australia, everyone's never no one ever seems to want to come back. Um, but you know, uh, so you know, giving people the opportunity to go and move over uh, and and embed themselves in the, in the culture, and, and that's super valuable. Not just um, you know in giving people the opportunity to to take on new challenges, but also you know it, it kind of when you're starting to build the team locally then, you know, they, they have this connection with people that really understand the business 
um, and have all these con- contacts within the business and, and help help them to navigate things. And so, so that that's one thing that we definitely do. The other thing is that you know whoever we hire, and obviously this has been something that we haven't been able to do uh, because of COVID, but you know we can't wait till we can again. Is we make sure that everyone comes and spends time in in London in our headquarters and you know that they onboard here and. Uh, and, and you know they get a, a sense of you know the culture and, and you know are able to meet their colleagues. Um, and so you know I think that that's the, the second thing is you know making sure that everyone has that chance. Um, the, the the third is obviously that the leaders that you hire into those the countries they have to spend a lot of time making sure that you hire people that you believe really are a good fit for the company, not just from the perspective of their ability to do the job, but also, you know, in terms of the values of the organization and the, the culture and, and, you know, that, that that's super, super critical. Um, and then and then finally, and, and again, one that we've not been able to do as much because of COVID is you know, traveling to the to, to those uh, offices as well. And, you know, um, uh, you know, I came over to uh, Australia last year, spent a couple of weeks uh, with the team over here and, and it was fantastic. And you know, I'm really disappointed I can't do that again this year, but um, hopefully next year I can again. Yeah, no, awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think that's really smart, um, especially the first one around yeah, getting people to relocate that are from the London office. I'm curious, when you do do the onboarding, how much time do you spend with that per? Like how much time do you have that person in your office, like a new new employee for the onboarding? Yeah, for, 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 for people that have uh, come from another office uh, or that are based in another office, we, we usually uh, do two weeks. All right, awesome. And um, I'd love to um, ask you kind of uh, as a founder, I was uh, reading an article just from research that um, still even with all the success that you guys have had, um, sometimes you feel imposter syndrome. I'd love to, I don't know, do do you remember writing that article? No, I have no recollection. Oh, okay. (laughs) It sounds familiar. Uh, No, uh, I mean, I think um, obviously for me, this is like the first startup that, you know, I I I I've started. This is my first sort of run around, right? And um, and also we started the business quite early, right? In in our careers, so I think I was 23 or maybe 24 when we first started the business. And so it's not like we had like a, a lot long careers before we started, right? And so you know, the the thing I always tell everyone is, you know, I'm the least experienced person in the business, right? You know, every point in our journey and of our scale, I've never managed a team of that size. I've never even, you know, I'm, you know, I'd never even managed anyone before I'd started uh, Go Cardless. So, so you know, there's definitely a lot of learning on the job, and you know, I think, um, you, you know, that sort of lack of experience always kind of makes you feel a little bit you know, on edge because you're like, okay, well, do I know what I'm doing here? Like, am I the right person to be leading this? Um, and, you know, you, you, you have to, uh, you have to have that confidence, I guess, but you also have to have that sort of hunger to, to learn and, you know, ad- adapt because, you know, every year I look back and I think, okay, wow, me a year ago really didn't know much, you know? Um, and, and so you, you, you know, but I think that's a good thing. It means that I'm learning. So, you know, I think it's, um, and maybe, I mean, I'm not sure imposter syndrome is the right word for it. Um, I think it's you know, more just this being being honest with yourself about, you know, you're not knowing all the answers and, you know, not having uh, the experience and, 
you know, making sure that you find the people that do have those experiences and you can learn from. Um, and, and then, you know, I think also having a, a sense of, okay, well, what, you know, even though I'm not that experienced, what, what can I bring to the table? Right. How, how can I contribute? And, uh, you know, having the confidence that those things that you bring are, are going to be valuable and, and, and help the business to, to grow. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think it's definitely, uh, you, you do a lot of soul searching through that journey, but it's, uh, yeah, there's definitely been moments where I felt like an imposter. Well, thank you for being honest. Um, cause I think, yeah, it's, it is tricky. Um, I'm curious, you talked about finding the right people, uh, to, to get the experiences from that, that you can learn from. I think that's a really key thing. Like, um, as a founder, as you, as a CEO, as your company grows, um, you need to be able to constantly be skilling up because that is the reflection. Um, uh, it is a big part of the reflection of the growth of the company, right? So where do you go to learn from others and gain those experiences? Do you have an advisory board? Um, I mean, I, I think for me, the, the number one and the, uh, the most important, especially as you scale, is the people that you hire. Right, that that's where I learn the most is is from the people that we hire. Um, and I mean, obviously, having advisors, external advisors, and coaches, and that kind of thing, they're super valuable, right? And I'm not taking anything away from that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's the people that you hire and the people that work in your business that you're going to spend like 90% of your time with, um, and they're going to be the people that are critical to the success of of your business. Um, and so, you know, it's about finding those people and persuading them to join, even though, you know, they've got far more experience and are far more capable than you. That, that for me, is the, the, the biggest and most important priority. And when it comes to finding great people, because, um, yeah, I agree, that it is critical if you want to scale, you need to find the best possible people and the better the people, the easier it is um, to continue growth. And there's certain levels that, that you know, uh, people come on certain levels of the journey. Um, is there anything that you could share around that idea of finding great people to help you scale? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's like you said, um, at different points in the journey, you, there's there's different skill sets and different experiences that are really important and valuable. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's about identifying those at the different stages, right? So if you can't go and bring in someone that's got this amazing experience of scaling businesses um, at the very early days, they're probably not going to be the right people, right? Because, you know, these are people that are really good at taking something that's small and growing it really big, right? But in the early days, it's not so much about growing it really big. It's about finding what's that product that your, cust- that your customers are going to really love, right? It's, and th- that's a different skill, a different challenge. And yeah, so, so I think you know you have to be conscious of okay, well, what kind of experience and what kind of skills are needed for this stage of the journey in the next eighteen months, um, and and that you know definitely changes over time. Um, and so, you know, the, the, that that kind of changes. But I think the thing that doesn't change is, and the pattern I've definitely noticed is that when you find people that are going to really change the trajectory of your business you the pattern I've noticed at least is you always feel quite uncomfortable about hiring them right it's kind of scary you're like Why? okay b- because 
because it's intimidating, right? If, if you're hiring someone that's truly better than you, right, then you know they're gonna you're gonna realize it, right? You're gonna know it uh, deep down, and and that and it, it or at least I've found that quite. Uh, it, 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 there's a there's a, an aspect of that that's a little bit scary because you have to kind of face up to your own inadequacies, right? You have to kind of realize, okay, well this person's way better than me at this, right? Which is kind of also saying, I'm not very good at this, right? And so, you know, you, 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 and, and there's an element of, okay, well, if this person joins, are they going to realize like that I'm not that good at this? And that, you know, are they going to freak out and, you know, leave? Or, you know, will I, will I be able to keep up with, you know, the demands as, as we go through this next stage of the journey? That There's all these kind of questions that come to your mind, right? Um, and um, that that can make you feel quite uncomfortable, I think, or at least it has made me feel uncomfortable in the past. And you know that 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 I use as a definitely like a almost like a a spidey sense now, where I'm like, okay, if I, if I'm feeling really uncomfortable about the idea of hiring someone because of you know how it makes me feel internally, then that's usually quite a good sign that this is someone that's going to be really really good, uh, right? Because you know, they're pushing me beyond my comfort zone, um, and and that 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 I think is the thing that has always been quite common in the people that we've hired that have made the biggest impact. Yeah, that's a really good distinction. I was thinking like, yeah, I've had that before where we've hired people where they're just incredible. Um, we have a really strong team, but yeah, there definitely are some people where it's kind of intimidating and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, exactly. you know, will, 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 will we able be able to give everything enough to keep that person challenged or like, you know, they're probably not as big as we, exactly. you know, like we're, we're probably not as big as they think or like, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking well, yeah, about. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you, you hire people and they're like, you know, they're talking about all these things and you're like, oh, we're nowhere near that. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, but, but they're the people that are going to take you from where you are today to that reality. Right, they're going to make those dreams a reality, and and those might be things that you think aren't possible, right? Mm. Um, things that you don't think are achievable, and that's that's scary, right? But then also, if you if you don't take that gamble and that leap, then you'll never get there, right? So, uh, you know, um, I, I've I've learned to try and embrace that discomfort. Mm. No, that's a cool insight. Thank you for sharing, Roki. So, um, well, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. I'm mindful of your time. Um, is there anything that uh, you would like to share about your journey uh, with GoCardless that um, I haven't asked you about or like any valuable advice or anything um, that you would like to share? No, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, like you said, the audience is about it, 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 uh, people that are sort of early on in their, their journeys um, and or maybe considering uh, getting into, the, into startups. And yeah, I think, I mean, the one thing I would say is that the journey is long, right? It, it, you know, don't, don't underestimate the length of the journey. We're, we're now nearly 10 years in and you know, it doesn't even feel close to the end. Um, and, you know, I think for me, I'm glad that I've done it. You know, I wouldn't have done anything else in the world. Um, but you just be cognizant of that, right? Be conscious of what you're getting into um, and be ready for it. Um, and, you know, I think it's... Uh, if you if you're up if you're up for the challenge and and the, and, and the, the journey and how long it's going to be then you know it can be the most rewarding thing that you do uh, but uh, it's also going to probably be one of the hardest and most emotionally draining things that you can do as well so you know I, I think that, that that's probably the main uh, other thing that I would uh, just uh, emphasize. 
Yeah, look, that's definitely a recurring theme that we do here. Um, thank you for sharing. And uh, what's next for you guys? Um, well, continuing to grow the business. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're still relatively early on in our in our journeys uh, into new markets, um, and you know, th- those are those are ones that I'm really enjoying and um, I'm really excited about. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to coming and spending more time in Australia uh, with the team over over in Melbourne. Um, you know, we're we're working with lots and lots of new customers uh, in, in Australia and, uh, and and around the world, and and, and that that for me is the, the big focus is continuing on that path to uh, a more global business awesome that's exciting so uh last question is where's the best place uh people can find out more about yourself and uh go cardless uh you can go to our website gocardless.com and then uh, we're also quite active on twitter so all right awesome well uh yeah we can wrap there thank you so much for your time that was an awesome interview and i appreciate your honesty (laughs) that's cool no it's great great to great to chat nathan and uh, look forward to seeing the episode Yeah, thank you so much. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.